So, let me, okay, go. Yeah, so apprenticeship is in the brochure. That's what we were talking about, what it is and how you, how you do it. Um, and how it's, this is all about how do you become a leader in the fellowship. Uh, the other piece of paper, the final and last packet that I've given you, is this one that says apprenticeship on the front. And what this is is a how-to guide for a leader, how to um, identify uh, a potential leader, someone you want to be your apprentice. Uh, talks about in more detail about what apprenticeship is and why it's important and how it works. Um, it talks about um, identifying shoulder tapping, so identifying leaders. Uh, it's an ICNU. This is not unique to us. Um, and then inviting someone into leadership uh, to become your apprentice. Um, we put in, uh, yeah, we even did the how-to because a lot of our leaders were really intimidated. Oh, no, what if I ask someone? Uh, how do I decide? Because you know, we're, uh, let me back up. We are um, not as pastors or directors taking on full responsibility for identifying leaders and then, you know, passing out apprentices to our leaders. We're really empowering our leaders to identify others that they want to mentor uh, in an apprenticeship. So, but a lot of leaders were intimidated by that, so we did sort of a how-to. That's what this packet is about how to make the, how to identify and how to make the ask and what do you say. So that's all in here. Um, and then steps to a successful apprenticeship. Uh, it's just talking about praying, about the confidentiality in the relationship. Um, the time frame. So the time frame for an apprenticeship is going to be different in every ministry. Uh, I think in our worship arts <laughs> ministry, uh, they're really, um, really struggling for enough people right now in some certain areas. And so they pretty much will grab someone, show them what to do in the first service, and then in the second service they say, you're ready to go. Um, so, or one week at a church service, show them how to do something, and the next week they're on their own. That's a little fast, but some ministries can do that. Um, I'm encouraging uh, our leaders to develop uh, written guidelines for what apprenticeship looks like for each ministry. So we're currently working on that. Um, one of my jobs, I think one of the most important things that has really helped us, and this may be your role as a pastor, or it may be a a volunteer that you've got, uh, this would be something they could do in serving, and that is someone's just thinking about leadership in, yeah. in your context. And so that's what we identified my role as. So I meet with our pastors and some key ministry directors. We meet on a monthly basis, and we sit down and we talk about who are your leaders, who are you developing to be leaders. Uh, that's, that is all of our, and we pray together. So that's our entire meeting and what we do when we meet together is talk about what are you doing. And it's um, accountability, if you will. They're not accountable to me, but what they've expressed is that they really enjoy knowing that they're going to sit down and stop and really think about leadership and leadership development because it's so easy to be busy in ministry and have so much on your plate that you just don't stop and think about who are we developing and and, um, and how are we developing them? So anyway, this document 
creating game plan for um, how you're developing leaders. Um, that's all in here. All of this, I feel like, can be really um, done at whatever place you are in a yeah. church plan and whatever size your church is. Just take you know that list of, of leaders or whatever and just bring it down to what you know. What are we going to do in our context? Um, also in here, the last few pages, you'll see reflect the mentor and reflect the apprentice. I don't think we've actually used these yet, but I really like them. <laughs> and that is that as someone finishes uh, being an apprentice, that they sit down uh, with the mentor, and the mentor and the apprentice sit down together and they reflect on what, what worked in your relationship and what ways could you have improved the relationship. Um, is there anything that could have been done differently? You know, what worked well for you in this process? So just reflecting on it because we always want to be improving and growing and learning and doing this in a very non-condemning way and, and not going outside to someone else and talking about it, but talking about it together. Uh, you know, just a higher accountability there um, in that. And so, you know, that's basically the packet. I put a little sample document in the back too that where they could, um, where any leader can sit down and list what they need to pass on uh, to their apprentice. Yes. Yeah, so I think the struggle across the board with churches is like, like you said at the beginning, all the ministries are an island and they're mm. doing their own thing and it's hard to see the oversight and the leadership. How have you guys seen this work well in like maybe like youth ministry or children's ministry and is there faith walk for that, or is that a different? Um, Can you get my phone? Sorry, hold on one second. Go. I need you to get that call for me and um, and take care of it. <laughs> sorry, I feel my watch buzzing. So, no, okay, sorry, I'm back. No, yeah. So, like, how do you? <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. Uh, how do you? How have you seen this work with like youth ministry or children's ministry and? Um, because you're, you're working with people that are on much different levels, uh, mm -hmm. you know, is there a faith walk that's geared towards youth? Like, is it, do they not do that until they get, you know, you know how, that, how have you seen that? Yeah, you bet. Um, so faith walking right now really is uh, adults. They don't, yeah. don't have one for students. We've done some younger kids, like Jerry and I, our youngest son is 25. He's single, at least until November, he's single. And he did faith walking a couple of years ago, and... Yeah, some of the younger guys we've seen do it. It's it works okay. Um, uh, it uh, requires uh, some uh, either maturity in age and having been through life, or or emotional maturity um, on, on the younger in the younger group. Um, so nothing like that. So they've kind of got their own the student ministry and the children's ministry. What they're doing uh, with kids and students in the beginning when we rolled out this these ideas, um, there was kind of a lot of pushback. Our student pastor, Joe, he'll tell you, uh, we, you know, he, was, he was like, I don't, I don't need to, to be developing people. I don't have anything to do if I develop more leaders. And then, his, yeah, and then he just had, um, not in a bad way, but his key leaders uh, like, took jobs in other states, and I mean, because they were volunteers, so they started moving out. And all of a sudden, he was left with this void. So it kind of came out of a crisis. So he's really on board now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it has. It's been really, um, 
tough to, to get this thing going. This has not been easy. It's much better now. Faith walking, same way. Yeah, do you like, when you start this membership process, uh -huh. you know, where it says step in, um, do you kind of give them options and say, hey, where would you feel like you fit well? Like, would it be with you? Or, uh -huh. Okay. We give them a couple of ways that we do that. On the step in, which is about start stepping into um, a small group or getting involved in the church, one is they have a sheet of paper that they're going to fill out. It's real easy for them to do at the end of every single <coughs> class. Um, so they can write their questions or indicate. Some people will come up and talk to us. Um, and we can also direct them at that point to... Um, a person that just is a volunteer coordinate, coordinator that basically is triage. You know, where do you think you fit? I can give them a, their spiritual gift test online. There's all kinds of those that, that you can um, get. So if somebody wants to know about their spiritual gifts. So she's kind of our point person. We found that works really well. We didn't have that for years. Yeah. How did the, um, the experience with the hundred people leaving, you realizing that it was as a result of your leadership. Yep. Uh, how did that impact even putting this together? Did it have any influence on it at all? Um, yeah, it had a lot of influence, I think. Um, so, you the question? Yeah, so he was asking back uh, when I had the train wreck uh, two and a half years in, um, if that train wreck uh, impacted how we view leadership and the development of our leadership process, and and absolutely, I mean it's, um, I, I mean whether you like it or not, uh, when you're planning a church, your DNA and your fingerprints are all over that thing, mm -hmm. and so that that's good and bad, uh, you know. So the things you're learning, and again, I, I said, told you that one of the prayers I prayed was, God, do whatever you need to do in me to prepare your church for where you want to lead them, to pre prepare me to be the pastor I need to be in that season. I mean, that's just been so true, whether it was God taking, you know, me going through faith walking. Gail will tell you she saw the difference in my life and was not surprised when I said, man, I want to get all of our elders together and go through it, and Gail went through it, and and the difference it's made in our marriage and, and our ministry and the church. So God had to do something in me. So I think in the leadership thing, God was doing that in me. And it was a leadership you know, journey of, that I, I went through and continue to go through. By, you know. And so, so, yeah, it definitely uh, plays into that. And my own passion for an understanding of how to develop leaders uh, as, as well as healthy, again, healthy followers of Christ who learn to lead. So a absolutely, it, it's had a huge impact in uh, in my own humility in that as well. How do you all celebrate your leaders? Like, um, you know, what are some ideas? Because I, I you, you said that you had to learn how to lead leaders. So how did you learn how to um, how to how to do that? Yeah, how to how to appreciate them without because sometimes we can overcompensate mm -hmm. because yeah. we want so much. So 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 let let me let me give you a model. So uh, this is a mountain, okay? Um, let, let, me, let me say this. For me, I bought into the Moses mental model of leadership. Yeah. Moses went up to the mountain. Yeah. God spoke. 
He came down. God has given me these 15 crash 10 commandments, right? Remember? <laughs> Guys, have you ever seen that movie? No. Okay, anyway. All right, so uh, it's how the world was won or something. Anyway. But the, the idea of Mo- thus saith the Lord, God gives Moses, Moses tells the people kind of thing. I had bought into that, and, and I, I would say that didn't work for me, okay? That a lot of people said, okay, great, bye. You're, you, you're not listening, you know? Um, and as I prayed and worked through it, I remember one day I was at the Seneca Retreat Center, and I was praying through this, and God gave me this model and for me. And it said, um, and it said Jerry, vision begins with me. This is what God is saying to me. Jerry, vision begins with me. Great. It's first imagined in the heart and the mind of God, then God gives it to some leader. All right? When it starts, it's just a trickle. You, you are insane if you think that God gives you a vision and you can do it all by yourself. Okay, I mean, and and I and I was that I could I thought I could I could do it by myself. I really did, and so that become that also forces you to be see people as pawns and become incredibly utilitarian in terms of how you view people, and that's not good. And I'm telling you, that's where I was. I, okay, so what God said was, and I said, see that boulder? When you're just a trickle of water up in this little source up here. Where God gives it, if it encounters a boulder, that little trickle just merely tries to figure its way around there. If you look down at the bottom of the mountain and you see this raging river that goes right over that boulder, if it does it over time, that boulder disintegrates. That water has incredible power. How does that become that? It does it through tributaries. And what I saw was that this initial little vision up here is here, but it doesn't, uh, doesn't take on this dynamic power unless you allow other leaders to speak into it yeah. and feed into it. And I'll never forget that. I got that. I thought, oh, that's it. That's it. That is why leaders and listening and appreciating and valuing leaders is so important. God's going to bring great people around you, and there are going to be people that have different strengths and different gifts and different abilities, and you've got to value those people and not feel like, and, and, I, and I heard this when I first planted, people said, man, you've got to protect the vision. You've got to protect it. Don't, you know, and so, man, I was like, nobody's going to mess with the vision. This is what we do. This is, no, here, let me tell you, you've got to protect the mission. Okay? Yeah, you got to protect the mission. The vision is just a preferred future that if you really live into the mission, maybe this is the kind of church you could be and kind of impact you make. That vision moves and it's got a life of its own. You got to protect the mission, not the vision. So God gives you a mission. The mission's in his word. We all have the same mission. But what that mission looks like is how you dream about how it gets lived out in your context. And so you get a picture of the preferred future. And you think, okay, if I plant this church and I can live into this mission in this context over the next four or five years, then maybe I can have this kind of impact and this kind of change. That's the vision. Then all of a sudden somebody else comes along and shares something with you and somebody else speaks into it and somebody else speaks into it. And pretty soon that vision takes on a dynamic and a life of its own that you go, wow, I didn't even see that. Yes, that's powerful. Oh, that could be so much more than I ever even dreamed of. That's when leaders, you go, that's why God puts leaders around you, okay? And tributaries form that. So that was the mental model that began to speak into, that came out of, kind of asking the question, how does 
my going through that train wreck inform the leadership of today, that, that mental model is huge, so. Yeah, I would say the authenticity that Jerry's talked about, um, I, I can just speak, I mean, from a, you know, in our, in our lives, personally, it just made a huge difference in our relationship. But what I've also seen is in our church family, in our congregation, the fact that Jerry is so authentic and that, um, and we have a very, on our staff, lots of authenticity. And that's you know, taken a few years to build. But the fact that Jerry will stand up and talk about those things, um, it, um, it's very um, encouraging to other members of our church and our congregation to feel like um, that uh, they, are, they can be known at a deeper level, too. Um, they can be brave. They don't have to show up at church and be perfect and, and, and like they yeah. have it all together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in that same uh, vein, there is a, I work with a lot of elderly, and sometimes authenticity can be kind of seen as weakness, right? Yeah. Like because they grew up in a generation that it's like the pastor is, is the guy, right? Like he, uh, he holds this kind of like, I have to like wear a suit every day. And again, probably part of the Baptist uh, nomination as well. Has a lot to do with that. Um, but when I'm honest, like brutally, almost like painfully honest, um, is received as in, oh, this guy's not ready, this guy's weak. Uh, and, I, and again, I, and I try not to be cruel or, or nasty or, or, you know, I try to see the boundaries in, in honesty. And it's still kind of seen as he doesn't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. He's not put together, so I don't know if I can if I can really follow him. So, I'll, yeah. So I'll share with what I we were talking about earlier. So um, I, I read early on it was not a theology text. It was in the newspaper, Dallas Morning News, in the business section, April the first, nineteen ninety. I open the page, there's an article about the Japanese 7-Eleven Corporation. And the president of the Japanese, 7, uh, Japanese 7-Eleven Corporation was a guy named Ito. And in this article it says, Ito preaches seven words of corporate scripture. And those seven words were this, respond to change, but preserve the basics. And I thought, man, there's something that rings true about respond to change and preserve the basics. And, and I came across Mark 7-8 where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And Jesus tells the Pharisees, you're holding on to the traditions of men, and you've let go of the commandments of God. And back in the 80s and 90s, we went through these these form versus function battles. You know, the the drums are of the devil, and rock and roll music, and all that kind of stuff. So here's the deal. I fought those battles already for a lot of you guys, okay? Those battles aren't fought anymore. We We did this, okay? So you know... The Bible says these are the functions of the church, you know, whether it's worship, discipleship, ministry, fellowship, evangelism, you know them. And they look different in every single context. You've got to help your people see that it's, it's the mandates and the mission that you believe in, okay? Not the forms that they have. The forms change constantly, constantly. And if you get caught up, if your argument is about a form, don't focus on the form. Focus on the function. Because that's where, you're, that's where you'll get unity around the biblical function. You cannot find rock music in the Bible. Okay? You can't find 
You, you can, can't even find, you can find some psalms and some hymns, but you can't find these forms in which those functions get existed. They look different in every context. So that's what I would say. So if you're battling that, I would just come back and work on the heart of the people for what God calls them to do. And then in doing those in their context and helping them understand that. And then you say, if forms are wed to functions, then forms begin to violate the function. Right. That's why churches are dying in their context, because they're doing it a way that they only know how to do it, and they will not change, and therefore they die. And so you've got to do the battle of separating form and function, and put, focusing on form, and then contextualizing your forms, and letting the, or contextualizing your functions, and letting the forms evolve from, your func from the contextualization. Okay? Solve it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it really is. It really is. So, so check this out. So we're trying to, like, um, what we're trying to do is, so again, we have a lot of, a lot of elderly. I was, for a while, uh, I was trying to just fight the practices because they were like, well, you don't like what I'm doing? We want to build a classical, uh, a classical school. Why, why are you hating on that? Like, why do you, why are you upset, Grandpa? Um, but then, because I was like, I was like, Thinking about that, I was like, okay, Lord, like, what do I do? And then he said, go to my word, the principle, right? Or the, the, as you said, the function. Um, and then I just kind of began to speak their language of like, look, why we, the bus ministry was great back in the 80s, <laughs> the 80s and the yeah. early 90s. Uh, and I'm sure, so it's like, why was that done? All oh, because of evangelism, right? Like you wanted to like outreach to the community. It was awesome. It was great. Now that same part that you have for evangelism, Let's, now let's put it here in the school and, you know, yeah, how many exactly. kids in the neighborhood are going to get Christian classical education if you just back us up and sure. keep doing this. And by preaching the, the, or the function, or in this case the principle, mm -hmm. uh, biblical principle, man, it has taken off. And, awesome. and now we have the whole congregation backing us up in, in, in this. So that's, that's well said. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Gray hair and uh, grandchildren help too. Right? Gray hair and grandchildren, yes, that's right. What? So, uh, Gail, what else? Apprenticing, that's, leadership, that's anything? That's all I have. Um, yeah, that's. What questions do you have for Gail? Yeah. I, yeah. I said this for the end because it's not about leadership. Is that okay to, to go to a different place for a second? Sure. So, y'all are the first folks um, that we've learned from. Who are husband and wife teams on staff? Yes. It's a conversation that my wife and I are having. My wife has a master's in theology. She's, she teaches at our church. We encourage worship at to large groups of women. <clears throat> and there's this question that we keep talking about, like, what would your role be? And I'm a little bit nervous about like conflating church and home, and maybe bringing home conflicts into church and bringing church to home too much. And and also like there's the whole like. There's a certain church culture where you have like the husband and wife on the billboard and it's like the, the first couple. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. nervous of that sort of imagery. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so like I'm just wondering maybe if you could speak generally about y'all's experience being on staff together. Whatever comes to mind would be that you think would be helpful. Yeah. You want me to say something? One thing, yeah, one thing I would say is I, I have never wanted to start, and I made a commitment early oh, yeah. on, that this was not going to be a personality-centered church. Okay, I started with a teaching team. I only preach about 30-something weeks a year and have almost from the beginning. I've always had guys I was developing to be preachers and teachers. 
I've been gone for months at a time where people think, who is the guy who leads this church? <laughs> and I can tell you, it is a good feeling to know that I can walk away tomorrow and this church will be doing what it's called to do. I've never, I said I'm never going to put my picture on a billboard or anything like that. So part of that is I, I, this church is not about me, man. It's about the gospel. It is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that, I want to make it about that. And Gail, Gail will attest to that. So, you know. But you can talk about, Gail has been yeah. my assistant for many years, but she can talk about that as well. Maybe so. I'll put her picture on the billboard. Maybe so, man. Probably draw more people. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not saying I want a billboard. I'm just saying. I know, I know. The dynamics. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And I want to avoid that. That's a church culture that I, I'm not too excited about. Yeah. Like I, I want, I want, I don't want anyone to think, get the wrong impression of anyone. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. So when uh, Jerry and I were going for premarital counseling uh, 34 years ago uh, with wow. uh, with my pastor, then it was I, I didn't know this until I called the church and his wife, who I'd grown up in that church, his wife is the one who made the appointment with her husband for us and. For the first time, I realized, oh, she's his assistant. And we looked at each other and went, wow, that's really cool. And, um, and that was just kind of, that left it there. But, but there were, the seed was planted that we were like, wow, that was just awesome. So years later, all three of our kids are finally school age, and this church gets to a place where they can hire uh, an assistant just for Jerry. And I had a great friend picked out to do that. She would have been wonderful, organized and awesome. He said, no, Gail, it's you. It's you. And I was an interior designer, so I had my little business going. And um, so I basically retired or semi-retired and started serving. And the way we did that, we had to learn. And um, we had to learn that um, we had different hats. And so sometimes I would come in and say, okay, I'm putting my wife hat on right now. And um, this is your wife speaking to you. Uh, or other times he'd say, Gail, put your assistant hat on and um, come in as my assistant. So it, there is some working um, out, depending on what her role is in the church. But um, I think we were the first. We like to say now at Fellowship, nepotism is alive and well. Um, the, um, we just opened a new campus, so our campus pastor um, at our Katie Main Street campus, his wife's my assistant. Um, our worship pastor's wife's the children's director. Um, and uh, we could and go our on son and is on. the worship leader of the our new campus. Our yeah. 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 You know, it's really, um, it's kind of working Well, for yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> hey. Uh, I think part of our culture Part of our culture is, one, we develop, going back to the old leadership thing, we develop people, okay? And if you're willing to be developed and go through the development process, then you actually might have the chops to get in there and do the job. And if I have a choice between hiring, that's why I love to hire from within, because I'm hiring a known entity. I mean, how many times do you, this whole thing, you can go out and hire a star, but you don't even realize that that person's a star because of the team around them. And then you take them out of their context and you bring them here and they flail and go down in flames. And the problem is you took them out of their context. You see it in pro sports. You see it in all kinds of things. That's why they say if you hire a star, you better hire the team around them because no one's a star by themselves. So when I raise somebody up in here, I know the context. I know the people around them. I see them working. 
And so if they're family members, it doesn't matter. They shouldn't be disqualified because they're a family member, but they shouldn't be given favor or hired because they're a family member either. Yeah, and does it get messy? Yep. Yes, it gets messy. <laughs> and that's why we really need the faith walking so that we can have, learn to have honest conversations that are not being judgmental and condemning of people. Yeah. So do you ever just like come, come to church and just be like, I'm mad at my husband, but not at my pastor? Because <laughs> I believe my wife is mad at me all the time, so I mean, I didn't know that. So, that's, a, that's a great question. Yeah, it is. I, I'm interested to know. There was this one Christmas Eve. That, uh, I don't even know what we were fighting about, but I mean, it was terrible. And our kids, uh, they were all old enough to know what was going on, and so I'm crying, and it's a Sunday. We had church that morning, and... And the kids are practically laughing at us because we're both being absolutely ridiculous. And uh, now we just had to work that out. So, yes, it happens. It happens. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, uh, and the reality is, like, sometimes, uh, like with uh, my son, he's not a direct report to me. So he, he's a direct report to our worship pastor. Now, Gail is a direct report to me um, because leadership comes under me. So she, she's a direct report to me. But... Um, but we, we've just learned we've just learned how to put on those hats and, and sometimes it, it's difficult. We, we learn not to uh, have our feelings on our shoulder, you know on our kind of on our, on our shoulders kind of thing. Because when Gail's in a meeting with me, I, she's the director of leadership development and I, I'm having candid conversations and you know and I can't go, oh, I don't want to hurt my wife's feelings. I, I can't do that. Yeah. And she's and same on my side. And same her. I mean, she she's yeah. got to say things to me. So we we that's and faith walking has helped us both have good, um, good dif- what we call differentiation and maturity and be able to have those kind of conversations. So, so Gail, are you on the lead team? Yes, I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I was his assistant for about 11, 12 years, wow. and then now I've been in this leadership development role, leadership director role for about. Almost three, I Almost think. three years, yeah. Something like that. Well, yeah. you're going to have conflict on leadership teams, whether they're family members or not. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we, we know how to deal with conflict. That's part of our skill set. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's there. I said, it, yes, it gets messy. Yes, we argue. Yeah. Yeah, that As a matter of fact, we actually value differences. Uh, Peter Block wrote a book called The Empowered Manager, I highly recommend. And he does a four-square model. And he says, you know, you have trust and agreement. And the challenge is... Um, and I'll, I'll draw it up for you real quick. I love drawing models. You tell. What's the name of that book again? The Empowered Manager. But you know, he he says there's trust and agreement. And he says if you have low trust and low agreement, you have an adversary. And if you have high agreement but low trust, you have a bet bedfellow. And here's where most people in most churches operate. They operate on agreement. So we just got to get everybody to agree. And as long as you agree with me, everything's okay. But as soon as you disagree, you become an, an adversary. Okay? And that, a lot of people function there. On the other side, if you have high agreement and high trust, you have an ally. And the best person in your life is someone that trusts you but doesn't agree with you. We call them truth tellers. Yeah. Okay? So what you want to do is create a culture where the highest value is trust. You know, 1 Corinthians 13.7, love always trusts. I mean, the idea that trust really is the highest value in leadership, not agreement. And most cultures, unfortunately, are set up around an agreement model that says we all have to agree. 
Well, then people won't be honest or people don't like conflict or whatever. If you just upfront say, hey, guys, nobody's going to see it the same. Our highest value is to trust God, trust the Holy Spirit at work in us. We have this level of trust and we are willing to disagree at every level. And disagreement's not a bad thing, and neither is conflict. So we actually have lots of disagreements and lots of areas where we might potentially have conflict, but we have a high level of trust. Okay? And if somebody is in an adversarial role, we don't focus on agreement. We focus on why is there not trust? That's the issue is trust. It's not agreement. Okay? Now, I had to, again, I had to learn that, but it's not easy. Go ahead. Yeah. I want you to go back to earlier when you said that you only preach 30 times. About 32 times a year, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, I, I just totally ignored that. I, 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 I was just like, there's no way. So, I'm glad you well, said well, it. Because, okay, because my wife, who I love so much, um, <laughs> <laughs> here it comes. And this is, this is recorded, though. Okay, well, <laughs> no, she, she's, tell, she's always telling me, you know, um, it's okay to take a vacation. Yeah. It's okay to do this. And my mindset is, I want to be at church every Sunday. I want to be here, you know. I'm like, we only get once a week, you know. Let's go on vacation during the week. Let's do something else, you know. But but when you said and added to uh, the fact that uh, the church functions even when you're not here, do you believe that because you're not preaching every Sunday, does that contribute to that? Yeah, let me tell you this. When I'm not preaching, I'm still here. Matter of fact, I get up on stage and welcome people, and it says more about the value and trust that I have in those that I'm developing who are preaching. It's not like I'm gone 20 weeks out of the year. No, I'm here. I mean, I do vacation and stuff like that, but I'm still here. I love listening to guys who, I'm, who have I developed or who are on our team preaching and teaching. I love being here and being a part of that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just not here on stage preaching. Yeah. Yeah. But we do take vacations. But we do take vacations, absolutely. We do that. It prevents burnout. So yeah. And plus, I, I mean, I, I highly recommend. I know Bruce uh, Wesley down at, down at Clear, uh, Clear Creek. I mean, Bruce preaches about that same, doesn't he? He's 20, 25. He's 25 <laughs> times a year, yeah. Yeah. And we're on Kids like four. Kids like four, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But see, those are guys. Those are guys again that are developing other people. They develop teaching teams, and I mean, you've got to do that. So I mean, how long have you done? Like, how long did you do that groundwork, just building, preaching every Sunday? How long did you do that for before you got to this point? I didn't. From the beginning, I started with team teaching. Yeah, from the beginning. But you yeah. knew people who were teachable when you started. Yeah, yeah. yeah. started with one. Started with one. We were small. Yeah, small. We had and, 100 and people or maybe 75 yeah. people. And yeah. Now, there were seasons where, like, he went off and started, he went off and pastored a church, and I had to work on getting someone else. So, yeah. I didn't know that your definition of small. Oh, sorry. When you say small. 75, yeah. Well, we, we started with about uh, 60 and then when we launched at Easter, we had about 350, and then we went back to about 150. You know, everybody kicked the tires, and everything came back. We were about 150, and then we grew it from there. Yeah, yeah. and it stayed, it stayed 150. And stayed, yeah, we never got really much yeah. small in 150, even after our train wreck, so. Yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to do it quietly. Hey, uh, Chad, I think, are we, are we finished? Yeah, maybe a couple more questions. Maybe five more minutes. Okay, okay, good, all right. I, also wanna, I wanna be, 
I don't want to get off and take away from Greg's time. Other questions? Can you give me maybe a gist of what faith walk looks like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, faith walking. So it begins with a 101 retreat. For instance, we have one this weekend. And um, it, it is personal transformation is really where it all begins. Um, stuff that I have never, I've, for me personally, I accepted Christ, asked Christ to, in my heart and gave my life to him when I was eight years old. And I've gone, I've done Bible studies and, and which have been wonderful and so valuable because of the, um, just the theological training. But faith walking on top of that then adds this uh, component of personal transformation. Um, what is uh, the false self? What does it look like? Um, has God created me to live out of my true self? What's getting in the way? Um, what, are, what are my habitual sins, my habitual disobedience uh, to, to the Lord? And so it's really dealing with some serious, serious hard work. And where it comes from, because it, it comes out of a place that is, again, non-shaming. Um, and I, the way I've just grown up, and maybe some of my own self-talk, has been from a place of, even though I could quote, Romans 8, 28, there's no, therefore now no condemnation. Romans 8, 1. 8, 1, thank yeah, you. Yeah. And um, that, um, even though I could quote that and tell other people that, um, I would just hear God and, and the Holy Spirit talking to me with this, oh, I, I'm just such a bad person, and shaming, and, and you didn't have your quiet time today, and and um, I lived that for like 50 years. And um, to come to a place where I could say, wow, I can see how I show up that way. I can see why, um, why I believe that or, or why I'm like that or why I'm listening to those voices and just observe it and then not be condemned. Recognize yeah. Jesus is not condemning me for that. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really powerful. powerfully huge. Yeah. So 101 and then 201 is like this six-month process of looking deeper into that uh, transformation process and getting the tools to learn, now how can I get myself to a place where I can hear um, more clearly from the Lord? Yeah. We're doing, let me just kind of, yeah. we're, uh -huh. we're actually doing one of the one on ones with your church planners. Yay. Ah. Yeah. Oh, so fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Some, it, I don't know how much you talk with me and Mike, so I don't know yeah. how much you talk about it in that, but with us? Hmm. Or with, no, not in here, but I have some slots available okay. if any of you felt like when they were talking about it today, I feel like that's exactly right. Yeah, and someone, and, and you had asked me about what's the difference between like, Faith walking as a discipleship model versus a, a NAP 2.7 or any other discipleship. Here's, here's the big difference between everything that we've done about discipleship versus a faith walking. Too often, our discipleship processes are programs based on information. It's, it's a Bible study. It's, a, it's something we do. Here's the difference. Faith walking is a praxis model. And a praxis model is information, practice, reflection. Information, Practice, reflection. Information, practice, reflection. Remember the karate kid? Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. But why am I doing this? I, this is so difficult. It's so hard. Then all of a sudden you get into a fight. It's like, whoa! You know? It's, all of a sudden it's there. Here's, here's what I believe. Information by itself does not transform you. It is information plus experience that transforms you. And so it's as you become a doer, not a hearer only of the word, that transformation happens. So here's what the big deal about faith walking is. 
Faith walking is built around an idea that we give you something and then you practice it. And you get coached in the practice. And along the way, you will get stopped. You get stopped. Because because you, the brokenness, the place of habitual disobedience, all of that get put on display. And you get you get angry, you get fed up, you don't know why you have to do this. You it's the process is actually designed to bring those places where you're struggling to the surface so that you can learn and deal with them. And so it is a transformational process. It's and so you have to think information, practice, reflection. You reflect with a coach, you reflect with others. You have prayer partners. You have accountability partners in the process. It's pain. really, really powerful. And lots of pain. And lots of pain. And lots of pain. The common denominator is there is lots of pain in this process. Yeah, it's a growth experience. It's a growth. It really is. The question about your uh, multiple locations: Are these campuses, um, I guess, operating? I'm not, I'm not going to say independently, but. I imagine that there's a campus pastor. Yep. Are they the ones preaching on those Sundays, or is it a screen that's streaming from the main location? Yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, both. So uh, we're, we're about a 60-40. Uh, so 60% will be video, 40% is live. Every campus pastor is guaranteed uh, 12 times a year to preach live at their campus. Um, and then I'm going to be live sometimes at some campuses. Uh, and, and we've got a live one here, you know, that kind of thing. But about 60% of the time, it, it'll be broadcast from here to the campus. And about 40% of the time, there'll be some live uh, thing happening there. And it's there. just so, one that launched a month ago. And we just have our second <laughs> campus right now. We're really early. But if you look at, I don't know if you've but seen, the vision if is. you look at our vision wall, if you go outside, uh, if you see our vision wall out there, oh, yeah, you'll, yeah, yeah, that, that explains our whole vision. It's already been Thank you, yeah, good. Yeah. Plagiarism, right? That's right, yeah. So is, is it sim- similar to like emotionally healthy spirituality where you're dig- you have to dig a lot into your past to, um, yeah. like you're yeah. saying, it's not just... Like the emotionally healthy church, is it Schizario? yeah. I mean, he's got some great stuff. It, that it is. It is very much, yeah. It's about emotionally healthy church, staff, individual... A big part of that is, okay, guys, your past is always present. Let's really be honest about how our first formation impacts our lives today, and then how can we experience the yeah, new formation. I feel like the, some of the discipleship models, like you said, it's like leave your past behind and let's go, you know, consume this information. And, yep. You know. Just ignore it like it's going to go away. Yeah. Okay, and it doesn't, yeah. So speaking of the past, uh, you said that you had an insecurity regarding leading leaders, yeah. right? Uh, what are some resources that you found helpful in your process of overcoming that? Yeah, most of the stuff I shared right here, uh, whether it's the empowered manager matrix that I shared with there about uh-huh. trust yeah, agreement Willard's model, work. Dallas Willard's work, Foster's work, the practice, my own practice of spiritual disciplines, um, my, my, the, the model of the mountain with the little thing around, okay, leaders are good to speak into the vision, all those things, and then just practice. Um, and then recognizing my, in my own life when I'm around strong leaders and I have anxiety and being honest about that and why it is that. Is it about my own secure, insecurity and just being honest about those things? So, yeah. yeah Nate. Why, um, why multiple campus first just planting individual churches? Great question. So for us, one of the things we recognized is that we're, we're a really healthy church. We just really are. We're emotionally healthy. We're spiritually healthy. 
And um, we just felt like that the best thing we could do would be to replicate a healthy model. And so uh, when we did all the statistics and looking at it, uh, one of the most fastest growing and, and uh, most evangelistic uh, models are, ca are new campuses. And so we at least had enough people where we could uh, hive off versus plant. We hived off. Uh, we were going to hive off about 200 to 250 and hive off that number of people. So we already had critical mass. We had all the system structures process. And we're on the high control side of it. That is, we're trying to, we're trying to replicate as much of our DNA and systems and structures as possible. So that's why there's this, why we do video. And if you walk over there and go into that campus, it's going to feel very much like here. Coastal suburban area? Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah, 10, 15 minutes away. Yeah. So that's why we, we all believe in church planting, but church planting, you guys know, it is really tough. And you've got to have good systems, good structures, good support financially and numerically, and, and it just takes a little bit longer to get up there. The campus model just is a bigger jump start to that. Yeah. I have a couple quick questions about the step track. Uh, is it a requirement for membership? To go through all five mm -mm, of these no. weeks, uh, and are for people who sign up, are they allowed to jump in on a random week and jump back out? Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. The only one required for membership would be the discover discover the fellowship core, the class, that first one that we do the lunch. Okay. You do have to go through that. To, that's the first step. You do have to do that to join. Okay. Yeah. How many of your members would you say have been through all? So we launched it a year ago. And started it by doing it in small groups, just encouraged as many people as possible to get in small groups. So it's kind of like we were baptizing the church in the step track. And so I don't even know now how many have been through. Now it's now close to 200 now. Okay, great. It's about 200, so. Yeah. 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 Y'all said you're good at conflict. Do you have any conflict resolution resources? I, I, I don't have a good one. I've never yeah, probably the best one. I mean, there, there's some peacemakers is out there. That's that's the basic one that's been out for years. Peacemakers. Yeah. Peacemakers. Who's that? Ken Sanders. Ken Sanders. Uh, the the other one is Crucial Conversations. Um, that's a good one. Um, and there's a website, Crucial Conversations, a whole organization around that. Um, that's a good, that's a good one. about having those kind of healthy conversations, healthy conversations around uh, difficult issues with high emotionality. Uh, you kind of mentioned uh, a little bit about, uh, I guess, drawing from all the leaders that are around. Uh, in Robert Morris's book, The Blessed Church, yeah. he talks about uh, setting up the, I guess, the elder board um, with uh, unanimity. Uh, how are you guys set up? Is it um, where if there's not agreement 100%, you don't move forward? Because I kind of kind of mentioned a little bit about that. Yeah, that's so. Um, uh, there, there's a great uh, another great resource. Is a, it's not a Christian book, but it's a book called The Fifth Discipline, and it's a systems book. It's by a guy named Singay. Um, he's an MIT uh, professor, but in there are some great systems. One of them that's really important, it's a mental model that's really helpful, is about, uh, it's a mental model of commitment. So th there are these levels. Uh, the first level uh, is apathy. Uh, and the, when people are apathetic, they just don't care. The next level is um, non-compliance and non-compliance says I don't agree with you I don't like it and I'm not going to change non-compliant then there's grudging compliance grudging compliance says you know what I don't like it I'm gonna go along with it but I'm gonna make your life miserable 
okay? Grudging compliance. Then there's formal compliance. And formal compliance is, well, you know what? Everybody agrees with this and everybody's going to go along. So I'm not there, but because it's more formalized, I'm going to go with it, okay? Then there's genuine compliance. And genuine compliance says, I, you know what? I really want this to happen. I'm not there, but I'm really on board. And, and I, I'm not where you are, but I really want it to happen. There's just genuine. Then he says there's enrollment. And enrollment is I'm on board. I, I'm there with you. I agree. I might have a little reservation, but I'm great. Now, from apathy all the way up to enrollment, every one of those areas have a jumping off point. It either gets too painful. It gets too difficult. It's too demanding. The only one is the last one, and the last one is commitment. And commitment is defined as I will do whatever it takes to make it happen, period. And that environment of trust. Yeah, so here's, I say that because most of us are asking for commitment, and people are not there. People are at some level of compliance. Most people are not at commitment on your team. Mm. I just want you to know that. Mm. They're not. So what you have to decide is where are they? Anything below, anything below formal compliance should not be on your leadership team. Apathy, grudging, non-compliance, or grudging compliance, you should get rid of them. Okay? They will sink you. But if they're at formal, yeah, if they're at formal, genuine enrollment, then you know what? You have to have trust in the larger group to go, I'm not there. I probably will get there, but I'm willing to trust the group. So that's a long way to say, no, we do not have unanimous decisions, rarely. Who that book? That book is Singay. Yeah, and that's on his levels of commitment, levels of compliance. Okay, most people are not committed. Most people don't think of commitment like you and I think of commitment. I, I think if somebody's committed, when I said to my wife, I'm committed to you, I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes, period, to make this marriage work. I'll go through counseling. I'll do whatever I need, but we're going to make this marriage work. That's commitment. Okay, most of most people who are saying I'm committed to your church are not committed like that. Okay, if you ask too much of them, they're gonna they're gonna eventually it's gonna get too painful or too hard for them, and then they're gonna jump. So, okay, good. Okay, we're done. All right, we said enough. Thanks.